Welcome. My name is Miller Pike, and you are once again joining me on AP Studio Files for our eighth mini episode and our final recap of season two. Oh my God. Joining me today is our distinguished. I'm distinguished today. Distinguished. (laughs) Technical producer, Art Kapishki. Distinguished. Welcome. I've been working um, on my Elizabeth Holmes impression. With a single drop of blood. With a single drop of blood. God, what if we did the entire mini episode? I see now I fall into like a Keanu Reeves like thing Keanu when I do Reeves. when I do her for too long. I don't like it feels better. Like I, I start to talk like her and I kind of get it. I'm like I <laughs> would also grow this boss would... too close to the sun. <laughs> This accent would work on me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would give all my money. Um, absolutely. Oh, my God. It's absolutely. Hot. Yeah. All right. It's eh, it's Keep a little robotic. <laughs> it's a little. Oh, yeah. But it's like hot robotic. Yeah. In yeah. the way that you like want to f- fuck a robot. Yeah. The <laughs> same way that you want to fuck a robot. We're coming for you. Good. Amazing. <laughs> Without well, further ado, first I just wanted to say congratulations. Oh, thank you, you are by the time this mini episode comes out, you will have graduated. graduated. We'll see. <laughs> I, give, you know, I, I really don't want to get my hopes up too much, but um, <laughs> but you in will. Theory, <laughs> I got the tickets. I paid hey. for the robe. Did you know they that- make you pay for a robe? Yeah. I didn't buy one when I graduated from college. Okay. This is like, I'm learning so much about academia and it, it makes me hate it all the more. But oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like if you ever teach, if you're a professor, you have to wear your robes from wherever you graduated last. So like if you get a master's and you teach somewhere, you have to wear your like graduate robes. I've always wondered why everyone standing on the podium doesn't match. And I figured it was yeah. just like some hierarchy. I had nothing. I had no clue about, but kind that of, I guess. actually makes sense. Do you like have to save this garment yes. forever? Yeah. That's what I hate the most about this. I think I, I threw my bard college one out cause I was like, I'm Absolutely done. Absolutely not. Never again. I also yeah. sweated so much in that. It oh, I was did not violently well. hungover at my yeah, um, as you bachelor's graduation. Okay, but there's different there's different colors for uh like different degrees and arts and performance is brown. Which <laughs> I can I can get that's brown is like a rich beautiful color. Um business the the, the color, the name of the color is drab. Drab. <laughs> drab. Get your drab brown robe. <laughs> it's like, Damn, well, bro. It's for like the the little like little thingy. That oh, goes the little collar. Piece. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think the color of the robes is your school colors. Okay. Um, and then the little the little dangle lapel thingy. Whatever it's called, yeah. you know. Th- those are based on what you majored in, and there's like a whole designation. And I had business no idea. Is drab. <sighs> and it looks like drab. I've never looked at a color name and been like that is correct Drab. yep that's right yeah that one that one they they got that one right or was it somebody yeah. the other day i saw and you'll appreciate this because you love eggs um but <laughs> somebody was like whoever named an egg oof, they got it right they got that it thing is an egg that is yeah. egg <laughs> what is it like onomatopoeias i yeah. do think that like some of them work yeah some words are yep that's it rock you got it yes that's, that's a, a rock, rock. <laughs> i agree but if i get 
to I'm going to start doing that to every word. <laughs> right. Too far down. Correct. Okay. So you you're graduating. Also mm-hmm. shout out to our or you have graduated by the time this came out. Um, <laughs> shout out to our amazing researcher H Conley. Huge, huge, huge accomplishments for you both. I also just like I, I keep derailing us, but um, no, keep. but H forever my light my son keeps me accountable oh i was called it. out oh <laughs> last episode canceled um yeah i was canceled it was only a matter of time but <laughs> shocked it's taken this long <laughs> honestly <laughs> but age was like kind of fucked up that you said that you've never worked with someone with like a work ethic like yours <laughs> Until this project, you know how many projects we've done together? And I, I want to clarify and say what you heard was not what I meant. And maybe you're crazy for thinking that. <laughs> wow. Gaslit. <laughs> um, Gaslit. Nobody do want to apologize. I work with so many people, uh, you included Miller, who have an incredible work <laughs> ethic. And I just want to say that what I was trying to say <laughs> no, was I, that I, I Your admire. insane energy was being matched. And, and I, I admire... Uh, people who have like a good work-life balance that is something or like creative life personal life balance Mm -hmm. I do not have that and I felt like that was matched for better or worse in this last project um but (laughs) you guys are all just spiraling together like 3 a.m conversations exactly and that can be invigorating the same way that like death is death is invigorating (laughs) but yeah no thank you to h for holding you accountable thank you forever for holding me accountable (laughs) and never do it again please thank you Shout out to all of our grads, though. I honestly, like, there's a TikTok trend right now where it's like where you were in 2020 and then, bah, 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 you know, where you are now. And so many of them are like, I have a doctorate. And I'm just like, whoa. That's fucked up. <laughs> I have a podcast. That's <laughs> also the same an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. I can't perform brain surgery. You should get an honorary but... uh, medical degree for this podcast. <sighs> <laughs> like how you can get like a fake priest, like you can be a, a, yeah. a ordained minister or yeah. whatever, get those yeah. like or online. Like, like how Taylor Swift like uh, got an honorary like oh, right. doctorate of the arts or something. You oh. should get an honorary allowed to perform surgery. <laughs> I just think Ooh, that should be a thing. <laughs> man, I'd have to find someone that was not very alive to, to try to test that out. I've been on. watching too many Elizabeth Holmes interviews. That's <laughs> she's the, a she's a great inspo for fake it till you make it. <laughs> a single drop of blood. <laughs> All right. Oh, no, we, we just went know. down a great like Elizabeth Holmes uh TikTok trail the other day mm-hmm. that were just like good impressions and also like yeah, you know, what was it? POV Elizabeth Holmes sees her child walk for the first time. These are some excellent steps forward. (laughs) Do you think she still talks like that? Oh, not at all. God, I hope she doesn't bed, though. Fuck. I want. I hope so too. I want to know. Got I want to know. Got a little. Shout out Elizabeth Holmes. About that. Okay. Um, fly on the wall. So we we <laughs> we are talking today. Yes. As a general wrap up yeah. of the entire season, much to talk about. I first just want to say like shout out and thank you so much to 
everyone who was on the podcast this season for trusting me to tell your story and to represent you in an excellent light. And I was so fortunate to work with such incredible people that now I'm continuing to collaborate with. And that's been really exciting. Uh, but shout out to Woody Foo, Day Briere, Coho, Avery Savage, Ernest Brockenberry, Bella Rocha, and Tahir McKenzie for all being on this second season. Woo! We're so grateful for you guys. So basically, we sat down today and just sort of talked through and are going to talk with you guys a little bit about some of the points that came up in each episode or in some of the episodes that we kind of wanted to revisit and sparked some more of our interest and intrigue mm-hmm. and hopefully sparks yours. So yeah. Yeah. Art, do you want to kind of take it away on this first subject? I know it was Hell like a yeah, pretty... Um, I do interesting one for you yeah well for everyone but when Tahir was talking about tech design in fashion was kind Mm -hmm. of like an aha moment for me really how so I really resonated with the combination of working on a more like technical side of an art form and also being involved from a more like designer standpoint it reminded me similar of like working in not the same of course but like working in tech theater for artists and then also being the artist in other situations I think we've talked about this before, but I always really respect artists who have a good understanding of tech and who really like respect in theater, respect the tech process in, you know, design and fashion. Obviously it's, it's about, you know, working with that technical Mm -hmm. designer who has maybe the expertise on when it comes to fabric design and like things that are going to best fit the artist's design. Yeah. And, and having like, as like the fashion designer, having, I'm sure an understanding of the technical necessities informs your design. It allows you to be more creative and uh, realistic and understand wh- how you can like fuck with that. A hundred percent. And I love that you said realistic because I mm-hmm. feel like artists who go into especially a process where they understand their budget, even yeah. how, how much their budget Important. can handle and like yeah. understand how their tech day is going to go and like what is going to best serve them to like work work on and what are going to be the hardest parts to work on is really important yeah Um, so I looked up we didn't do like a little drop in for it but I just wanted to like I found an article online (laughs) tell me about like what a tech designer does because I I did really want to hear more about that yeah it was Um, definitely something that I have a huge gap in knowledge about mm -hmm. and I I think to hear mentioned like that's a program at FIT and so this article that I found was kind of breaking down this is not limited to what they will do they probably end up doing a lot more but first you get this sketch from the designer and if it's done by hand then it's your job as the technical designer to create a front and back flat sketch of the garment and illustrator and digitizing that I thought of my mom for that because my mom is a costume designer oh um, shout out and she is so talented and so wonderful and like glued to paper you know she gotcha that's that's her world and she's learning procreate right now oh congrats um, yeah, and it's it's just a whole new world for her, but it's it's crazy because a lot of her students uh, she teaches at a college already kind of like taught themselves procreate and already work in procreate, and it's kind of like there's a movement towards 
digital yeah. design. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, even when you just look at like some of the digital aspects being added to fashion, you know, like you have like programmed lights and things like that. Right. I mean, we're seeing some more of that in like kind of this high fashion couture world. Yeah, definitely. I um, mean, obviously that's been a thing, but it's becoming more popularized. Just keeps going. And then, so you have that sketch that you've created. If they haven't designed it in Illustrator already, and then you create a technical package, which is basically like sewing details, points of measurement, wash description, mm. mostly with denim, which we talked about. Um, yep. Label, hang tag, placement, bill of materials, packaging instructions. And then after all of that, it is sent to the factory where production will take place. And so I I found that very interesting. And I think that a lot of times as like consumers and even like creatives, you kind of forget all the behind the scenes work that goes into something. A hundred percent. And sometimes I feel like the older I get, and the more friends I make in creative fields and also outside of creative fields, I'm like, that's a job? Yeah. That's A, awesome. Mm-hmm. had no idea. Great. I don't know why in my head I was like, the designer does that, clearly. But obviously, oh. it is like, that is a technical aspect to yeah. creating this vision that the artist has or the designer has. Yeah. And yeah, it is a very technical portion to that. I worked with a sound designer who, thank God I worked with him because I had really no idea what I was doing as an A2 on a musical. (laughs) And he kind of helped walk me through it. And his assistant was saying like, thank God for this guy because uh, he really knows how all the technical stuff of sound works. Most designers don't. I remember going like most design, like most sound designers don't understand how sound flow works. Like what's the point? What, what do you do? What do you learn how to do? And they just, they learn how to make things sound cool and think about it dramaturgically, which of course are important skills, but I think probably more so important, like paired with a technical understanding of how things work. My mind is blown. That makes no sense. No, that's especially programs that like, Yale or graduate design programs is all about like aesthetic more aesthetic dramaturgical decisions which makes sense I mean I've, yeah. I feel like that's important gotta... of course creatively and I, I guess so for me that makes more sense when it comes to something like film because yeah you mm-hmm. are wanting to make this your job is more linked to the storytelling rather than like how it's going to actually sound over yeah. like a, a computer or however the person the audience is viewing the film yeah but what I, I feel know. like for theater design the space and how the sound is laid out in the space is like such a yeah. huge element. well I assume they think about you know what sound is coming out of what speaker at least but they wouldn't know how to set it up but what's like I mean crazy... neither what I so I literally I don't <laughs> sure, know why I mean... I'm throwing literally any shade <laughs> I mean I, I literally get paid to do that sometimes I don't know how to set it up <laughs> but what's crazy to me is that like that's usually for like the higher paying jobs like higher paid designers usually have less technical knowledge because they have the money for an assistant Mm. and for a full crew Crew. and to work on like a professional like Broadway stage lower paid sound designers they have to know how to set it up because they're going to be the ones setting it up right so I don't know I just I I really 
I resonated with like sharing those two skills of like the technical and the creative. I was like, woo, like more creatives who have a background in the tech. Yeah. I mean, I started as an actor and then moved more into tech and have Mm -hmm. like vacillated between both. And I feel like when I was working as a creative, I would like sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up because I knew that like this this is not about me. It doesn't literally, (laughs) literally does not matter to me at all. Like they're going to make their decisions and I'm going to stand where I do and do my job. But yeah, get your ass out of the way actors. (laughs) But yeah, no, I definitely, I loved hearing about that more technical side and and just sort of thinking about how like precise that is. I think a lot of people our age, it it, it might be even a generational thing because you know, that's, that's where the jobs are. That DIY attitude Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, yeah, no, definitely. I feel like I know so many people, I think Day even in her episode was talking about how she was like sitting down with someone and they were teaching them some sort of design program. I remember yes, we were talking yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Kind of speaking of Day's episode, mm-hmm. I really loved, and I feel like this has come up in conversation a bunch with people who've listened to that episode specifically, is kind of this craft versus um, fine arts or crafting and usable arts versus mm-hmm. fine arts and kind of some of the, not kind of, the racism, sexism, and classism tied up in that right. versus. And I, I've i been thinking a lot about specifically like basket weaving yes. and some of these, I guess, crafting arts that are more linked to like women designers. Yes. And I was looking up specifically like the history of basket weaving. Oh, I want to hear about this. And it says around 5,000 to 1,000 BC Mm -hmm. was when they were like originally beginning to like create pottery. Then they basically unknowingly started basket weaving, kind of pottery adjacent. Which is funny because I've always kind of thought of them in sort of the, I guess the same class or, but I didn't realize that they, they actually sort of sprouted out of them. Basically, they made the the baskets originally as molds for mm. pottery. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So, so, but then of course they realized like, well, these are fucking useful as well. Um, but they were mostly woven by women using uh, like raw sourced material. Yeah. Um, like all over the world, or like where? Specifically? This is specifically like Indians living in what we now know as like New Mexico and Arizona. Okay. Interesting kind of thinking about that. Yeah. The, I mean, that whole like diminishing of craft work. Diminishing is a great word. Yeah. It, it reminds me too of like just the, the disparity in, to bring it back to theatrical design, costume designers are the least paid design and, and even like, uh, you know, wardrobe yeah. members of just like technical workers within the theater industry. And surprise, it's like predominantly women. Yeah. And there, there is this like assumption. There is an assumption. There is an yeah. assumption that it takes more work to be a scenic designer, or it takes more work to be a lighting designer. Which is funny because, like, I feel like costuming is so much sourcing, mm-hmm. and like that can be. And also, you're, you know, with, with a lot of costume designers, especially if you're yeah. like working in a place like New York that has like a higher budget than elsewhere, right? You might be a costume designer with a bunch of assistants, which is great. What my mom has talked to me about a lot, I've never been a costume designer, but (laughs) what she's (laughs) talked about is that sometimes it feels like a lot more 
even like physical labor. Yeah, I was um, going to say just like carrying stuff. Carrying stuff, being there, time uh, even. Um, and I don't want to diminish what lighting designers do. It's like magic and I, I have nothing but respect and can never do it. But just from a purely like time you have to be in the space yeah because lighting designers just show up for tech they mm -hmm. light it then and you can just take more jobs physically in time and space as a lighting designer of course than as a costume designer and, and costume designers are paid less <laughs> and heaven forbid like your costumes i mean hopefully you have a someone who takes over a wardrobe during the run of the show and they can make like any small fixes that need to happen throughout the run of the show but yeah mm -hmm. as a as a specifically costume designer i feel like there is pretty big disparity yeah i feel like just theater in general for an industry that like is kind of this like liberal marker very like neoliberal but kind of broken <laughs> yeah it's it's broken and it, it is like very patriarchal uh white supremacist straight even yeah uh, yeah it's like i was thinking i was talking i don't even remember how it came up and it wasn't specifically about theater but it was kind of specifically about the sort of like very New York Democrat, yeah. Democratic or liberal, <laughs> like the a New York liberal being like, we're going to have a sit down group about that. We're going to have discussions and come oh up God. with a panel and blah, blah, blah. And this whole thing. A and like, panel. it's kind of the, the theater <laughs> vibe where you're like, we need to have a panel to discuss. And it's like, everyone on that panel looks the same. And everyone yeah. on that panel is from the same kind of background. And that panel is actually just a bunch of mirrors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, of life experience or, you know. Yeah, theater is is really kind of like the pinnacle of neoliberal thought process. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, at least like mainstream New York theater. Um, Agreed, yeah. But on stage blog, which I... I really like, I used to write for them. I generally like, really like their articles. They kind of broke down some numbers and... Give them to me. Uh, yeah. So first of all, they were talking about technical designers in theater being overwhelmingly white, cisgender, male-dominated. And in a survey of 589 female-identifying designers, 90% of the study respondents reported having experienced a negative work environment, gender-based harassment, and or pay disparity. Holy shit. Which does not shock me at all. Uh, it doesn't, but something about, I don't know, 90%. It's like all of them. 90% <laughs> of respondents reported having experienced a negative work environment, gender-based harassment, and or pay disparity. Yeah. Um, and or is kind of uh, it's just like all of them. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> all um, of them. Yeah. It's uh, also like to get into like the weird nitty gritty like union stuff. A lot of this spills over into film and television as well. Of course. IATSE is the main union for theatrical designers that also extends to film and television. That was formed in 1893 and the CDG didn't join it until like 1976. Wow. And back then, the pay gap between costumes and production designers who are predominantly male mm -hmm. was 357 per week. And that's for like a 60-hour work week. And you're talking this is in like the 70s? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so 45 years later, it's still glaring. I mean, we're accounting for 3%. Uh, raises each year and also inflation but now it's a 963 disparity per week as of 2021 Jeez. um 
and, and that's and that's like specifically in this union yeah that's in predominantly film and television okay. through IATSE oh, okay gotcha IATSE gotcha. numbers something else to note though and they is, have money <laughs> they do they have the money film and television that's where the money is and that's between designers production designers versus costume designers gotcha most of these numbers are like almost every designer is like overwhelmingly male and mm-hmm. I'm looking at this survey from HowlRound and it's like scenic is 78.6% male uh, lighting is 86.3 sound is 91.2 costume is, is 68.7 female if we're looking at it through a binary lens which we are right now um, right now <laughs> today right now today we are but What's not on here is that most stage managers usually identify as women. I remember we were talking about that earlier, and I didn't actually realize that stage managers were under um, SAG-AFTRA. Yes. Yeah, um, they're not part of IATSE. They're part of the Actors' Union, Actors' Actors Equity. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know. I, I don't have many numbers on them, but I will say that like stage manager is like the one thing I've never, ever, ever been jealous of. Like I've <sighs> never, Hell worst no. job I could ever imagine. I mean, people who love it, love it, but it is like so much work. I give absolutely huge props to the stage managers that I know who are yeah. really, really working it and work that pretty much exclusively they work yeah. such long hours and they make sure everything is happening yeah 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 it was just kind of like crazy yeah so i mean I, but i'm just gonna say probably not paid enough <laughs> oh i would say 100 percent not yeah i mean i've never worked on broadway in new york so i don't know what some of the salaried rates on are on that but everyone i've worked with you know off broadway in new york and in dallas uh not paid enough yeah Definitely not. I remember when I mounted my show in Dallas before I left for New York, I had a stage manager and they were basically the only person I could afford to pay. And I was like, you need to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I always feels like if, if no one's getting paid, at least the stage manager. Yeah. Yeah. Pay pay your tech. This is a stage manager fan podcast now. Yeah, I definitely appreciate some of the stage managers I've worked with are just incredible people. Yeah, um, heroes. Would heroes. drink with them again. Absolutely. <laughs> Hit me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, I, I was thinking about, so like all these like lighting, sound are, are kind of these like technical things that kind of exist in the ether. I know they're real. Um, <laughs> they are you, real. You can't convince me though. <laughs> can, can you hold light in your hand and say... But you know what you can hold in your hand? This is my transition. <laughs> Wool. <laughs> you can fucking love me a sheep. <laughs> you can hold it. I've seen it. I I've know it exists. I've seen it. I've smelled it. <laughs> Smell it. That is a thing that exists. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> I love that transition. How do you, yeah, how do you like my transitions today? I love it. Today? I love it. Your transitions it. are absolutely killing it. My brain Ooh. is not firing. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Yeah. Another thing that Tahir talked about was this Woolmark prize, which I thought sounded really interesting. Again, we didn't get to like go deep in because there was just so much stuff that Tahir was mentioning that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think I ended up sending H like 10 insert ideas and H was like, um, do I'm you want me to trying like, to graduate and finish my thesis? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, sorry. But there, I, I still wanted to talk about it. So the International Worldmark Prize celebrates outstanding fashion talents from around the globe who showcase the beauty and versatility of Australian merino wool. Ooh. Ooh. It is the world's most prestigious award for rising fashion stars. 
Yeah. I love wool as a concept. Oh, and yeah. I love the <laughs> use of it in, I actually have like a couple really cool like wool purses, mm. but nothing's like wool. I feel like I never get the opportunity to like wear wool. Yeah. But maybe I'm just poor. That will do it. <laughs> I, I'm not wearing any Australian merino wool. That's let me tell you that. No, <laughs> no but there is something. So, okay. We, we have the shared experience of going to a Waldorf school. Yes, correct? we do. Um, yes. <laughs> And uh, hilarious. I don't know if you ever like did some felting. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, some I was knitting. felting some elves. <laughs> I was like felting out their little beardies. That's what I kept thinking of when I was looking this up. I was like, little tiny felted puppets. Oh, hell yeah. No, I, Fucking amazing. I remember one of my friends, like she was like, I used to eat a ball of cheese every night. And instead <laughs> of doing that, now I felt. And I was like, what the fuck? She was like, I just needed something to do with my hands. Now I want to do both. I was like, honestly, I would not give up the cheese for wool, but like, good for you. Good for you. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's just such a nice like sensory thing as well. Yeah. And again, like going back to this practical crafting practice. Yes. Yes. um, I love that that's been like a theme throughout yeah, today. yeah. it's it, it keeps coming back I love practical arts yeah I love like one of the things actually shout out to Debrière mm. she recently had her residential show for her Brooklyn clay residency and all of her art was like usable they were like these beautiful so wind instruments that she'd made out of clay and I actually bought one of her her shakers mm-hmm. and they're just like they're all beautiful and it's yeah cool. and it usable and yeah, and it's like, it's got such a nice weight to it. Anyway, mm-hmm. shout out to her. I love, I love you, Day. Yes. I was reading about this Woolmark prize and they had an interesting little snippet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just read now. Pushing back against the early 2000s dominance of video and digital art, mm. a new generation of artists is reinventing traditional craft forms with wool. In a world dominated by technology and the growing desire for it, instantaneous gratification a counterculture has emerged over the past few years with the philosophy of slowing down as more people become interested in buying or learning how to make artisanal products the popularity of the slow craft movement grows and i just thought that tied into a lot of stuff like yeah uh, we were talking about the slow fashion movement a hundred percent that's literally like that and Mm -hmm. also like the fact that people were starting to think about this even in the early 2000s is like Mm -hmm. very interesting to me because i feel like we've seen it progress yeah like i feel like i have so many friends who are my age who like knit and have Mm -hmm. gotten like more back into these sort of things you can do with your hands that aren't necessarily like sit on your phone all day right or kind of being more conscious about like, oh, I can learn how to make that. Right. Um, it's what is it? The bisexual urge to think you can do in a DIY <laughs> project or whatever. <laughs> is that, everything's a bisexual urge. Oh, these yeah. Days. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. Um, and, and they also talk about they had this article about just like the calming meditative effects of knitting and mm-hmm. of felting and stress reducing yeah yeah i thought that was really cool um not only were they like giving this prestigious prize to something that could be considered more craft work and less high art quote unquote Ugh. but also it's like promoting this like diy activity that is both like something that fills your time as a hobby mm-hmm. and makes you calmer but like you can you can make clothes for yourself you can knit yourself a sweater I love that yeah I think that that was a huge moment for me in 2020 like in the mm-hmm. f- very first lockdown is I realized that none of my hobbies included being at home mm-hmm. um like yeah. my hobbies were like 
going to art exhibits, you know, kind of like more experiential things, which are the way I like to spend my money for sure. I would much rather like go do something or go on a trip than like buy something fancy or whatever. Right. But when I didn't have anything to fill my time that was experiential, kind of coming back in and being like, okay, I'm going to draw at night or like color. I'm going to color in a book and kind of repicking that up. Something I used to always do as a kid would be to like listen to an audio book or listen to, you know, story and draw or, you know, or do, do something like having, which I think is kind of why crafts have never been my super strength. Right. (laughs) Sure. Because they do require like sitting and slowing down, which (laughs) is something thing I'm getting more comfortable with. Yeah, what a crazy concept. <laughs> I know you and me both were yeah. like, oh fuck. <laughs> um I kind of wanted to shout out to Rachel Omondi's podcast. Sweetie um Tahir had brought her up when we had our original recording and we didn't get to talk about her, but yeah. I have since gotten to check out her podcast, The Cutting Room Floor. Mm -hmm. Um, She's also a New York-based artist. Her tagline is Fashion's Only Fashion Show, Mm. and she is a designer. So her podcast, it is an interview-style podcast, kind of like this one that is all style and fashion adjacent. She talks to wholesalers, like another kind of job Mm. that is so interesting. Fashion photographers, a bunch of different like designers and stuff like that. And uh, she's in her fourth season. So definitely check her out. Again, that's um, Rachel Omondi, The Cutting Room Floor. But yeah, I like that she's talking to these sort of, I don't want to call them like unknown positions because I feel like if you're in the industry, you know, you know know the parts. I don't know though. I mean, I don't always know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't always know. I'm like, you know, you hear at the end of the podcast, like today's production was brought to you by blah, 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 like all these 40 people. What, what, yeah. what all do what those, are they all what doing? are they all doing? And then you hear what they do and you're like, oh my God, that's that, a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Or, or I ask my friends who work these very innocuous, like corporate jobs. I'm like, yeah, but what do you do? Like, what is your day to day? Like, what are you in charge of? Okay. But there are some corporate jobs where I'm like, I'm, you don't do anything. <laughs> I I don't believe for a second. I don't do believe anything. for a second that you do a goddamn thing. But you were um, gonna. I'm sorry. You were gonna say no. No. I think. I mean. I, I was literally just gonna say like, what is your day to day? And sometimes they're mostly just like I am in meetings to talk about ideas. Yeah. And I'm like, give me the money. <laughs> meetings to talk about yeah. ideas. We're sharing We're, ideas today. today. Step forward. We're stepping stepping into <laughs> I can't our even, Elizabeth Holmes. I cannot I can't even pretend to talk like corporate lingo. Oh yeah. I'll uh circle back to you on that one. Some people are like on TikTok very good at it. <sighs> they probably work it's, corporate job it's yeah yeah i know you also kind of wanted to touch on like and i i think we've both <laughs> experienced varying <laughs> levels of mental health yeah um, mental health i feel like was just a huge theme this season exactly uh, yeah in a different way than it was in season one Mm -hmm. because season one was all the beginning of 2021 we had this like we're all gearing up into getting vaccines we're all Mm -hmm. looking forward to summer we're coming out of this like pretty crazy winter yeah and we're like blah rah rah and so that was I feel like we were discussing mental health and obviously mental health has become more of a I don't want to say mainstream topic but it's definitely like less taboo to talk about than it obviously was for like previous generations 
Uh But I feel like there's been different sides to talking about mental health in the latter part of 2021 and going into 2022 that were kind of interesting because it was more about like, okay, I know who I am because I got broken down by 2020 and and 2021 and that was later part of 2021 early 2022 and now it's about protecting myself a little bit yeah I I mean to hear most recently again was like super refreshing hearing him say like yeah I think I'm pretty successful and just like I loved that positivity so seemingly easily I know yeah very gracefully a lot of work but very gracefully yeah um (laughs) yeah yeah I I feel like mental health has been like a a big theme throughout every episode this season yeah Um, Koa also was very like open and pretty bold about yes struggles slash successes Uh during this last couple years and we also we recently had this conversation about like happiness during our like philosophy mini episode (laughs) I wanted to return to I think at the end I was like oh I want to talk about bimbofication uh and then never (laughs) did having a good time yeah like it, it being cool to just have a good time well that and then also just like I don't know the the ethics of stupidity I just find very very interesting because you you had like a really interesting take on someone who's happy is like not fun to be around yeah I was saying someone who's satisfied is is like for me someone who's like more settled in like happiness because I don't think that life is necessarily like the goal is to be happy I think the goal is to be like okay when it's not happy yeah yeah or to experience like a a plethora plethora of emotions yeah exactly yeah totally and like i guess you can go through life however you want like (laughs) oh yeah i mean get bimbo like have fun yeah but uh, i don't know there's like this whole there's this discourse (laughs) on tiktok tell me i know my my vice about like bimbofication which is a a branch some would say uh of choice feminism Mm. which i don't know who's familiar with like this idea of choice feminism basically it's like the idea of don't shit on people getting plastic surgery it's not anti-feminist to get plastic surgery because i want it and i like it I don't, I'm not doing it for a man. I'm doing it for me. That's my choice, which is fine. But, Anyone, yeah. bodily autonomy, do whatever you want to do. There is a counter argument to that. And this is where the discourse comes in. Mm. That is saying, yeah, bodily autonomy, you can do whatever you want. But the history and the effect of plastic surgery, especially like rhinoplasty and these nose jobs are like very structurally and societally pushing this um, unrealistic expectation for women that is like white supremacist, very fat phobic, and also like classist because the rich can afford it and the poor cannot. Um, right. To get these. And so it's kind you, of that classic like, oh, I'm not ugly. I'm just poor. Yeah. <laughs> Me- meme yeah. that you see like. And so saying that you want to get it for yourself, that's fine, but it's not necessarily you can't. They're saying I don't want to take a side. Yeah. I, although I do kind of agree more with this side is that it's hypocritical to call it feminist to call that a feminist choice because it's something you want because it's not really actively working towards the liberation of all women or all genders right um it's it's just satisfying yourself and in a sense because you're a woman or because you're gender fluid or not within the binary and you experience like less privilege because of that you're 
positioning yourself in a way to get more privilege. So again, it's just like still this fight towards how can I get the closest I possibly can to the most privilege as opposed to liberation for from everyone. Yeah. And from yeah. A, the systemic. So it's like systemic versus uh, uh, individual. Individual. Yeah. Yeah. I get both sides. I mean, I don't want plastic surgery, but I also like, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to be like, I don't give a shit if anyone gets plastic surgery, but then there's like a whole other side to that of like gender affirming surgery. Totally. Um, at the end of the day, kind of the same thing. Like if you're like a woman who is cis assigned at birth as a woman, now identify as woman have always been like a little bit flat chested and you want to get like a boob job to feel more feminine that is gender affirming surgery even though you don't identify as trans in the same way that a trans girl would get a boob job as gender affirming surgery or a trans man would get top surgery as gender affirming surgery so like obviously i support any kind of gender affirming surgery but where like this gets to get even more complicated in in this TikTok discourse is bimbofication (laughs) is like kind of this this branch of choice feminism that has become quite popular with like Chrissy Chilpeka. Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's definitely a couple. She's like, I'm having a great time. And I'm like, that's see, I love that. Mm -hmm. I do like I I really I'm like, good for you. That's Mm -hmm. that looks super fun. Mm -hmm. Like I can't really hate on it, to be no. honest. Like, I can 100% hear what you're saying about, like, the class and racial structures mm-hmm. of not putting the hand down for those below you right. is, like, a little bit problematic. But I also just really appreciate people who don't take life too seriously. I mean, I definitely that. And what I identify most with, like, this bimbo movement is, like, stupid rights you know as coined by z-way um <laughs> stupid the rights. queen, <laughs> the queen. Um, thank you z-way uh, thank you z-way for stupid rights um i think that being stupid is a beautiful thing that people should be allowed to be <laughs> oh my god never have i gotten more my way than just pretending to be an absolute idiot yeah like just <laughs> being dumb being like i just i don't know what to do I just don't know what to do. Obviously, there's a lot of things that, like, you shouldn't be an idiot about just, like, as a human. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like, obviously, this comes from, I'm, you know, I'm a white woman, so this comes from that perspective, but I wish people would just allow others to do what they want to do. I wish that people would, uh, I hate that I'm saying this, I wish people would just be kind to one another. (laughs) Like, I know that, that Ew. I know if I'm like, oh, it's like, gross, gross. Miller, <laughs> but I wish I need people to just realize that nothing matters because we're on a rock and the rock is on fire. And until we get that sorted, all of us together or maybe like the nine CEOs who are causing it. Yeah. Can we just be nice? <laughs> Can we be kind? I have heard Can that. Can we respect people's choices? Being nice is coming back in the summer. <laughs> and being a you huge heard it fucking here bitch first. <laughs> for no reason had its moment. <laughs> oh, God did it. But not for the summer. And not for the summer. <laughs> no, being summer. nice. I definitely, I definitely feel like being kinder and also just, I know we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but just sort of not adding my opinion to a lot of arguments 
Yeah. I know we're on a podcast, so that is a little <laughs> bit of a contradiction, Don't but listen to anything not adding a lot of opinions to arguments, especially arguments online mm-hmm. has severely helped my, my depression and just taking that time that I would have spent maybe if it was an hour being distraught or distracted by videos or comment sections and saying, okay, for that hour, I will pay for my hourly wage. I will donate that money and just yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah. So that's kind of been my my method for the past two years is just not really other than this discourse and bringing, I guess, spotlights to artists such as the ones we've had on the podcast and like the ones that I'm now approaching about being on season three. Stay nice. tuned. Nice. I'm already talking to people. I'm excited. Ah. Um, giving space to those people and and really like something I took to heart from Koa's episode was like showing up and I've been trying to do that a lot more with like people's shows and mm-hmm. now that that things are opening and just trying to like go to stuff and being present for people and not giving my opinion online too much sure. um has yeah. been very helpful for my mental health yeah because I go I know what I think and I like it <laughs> and then I just donate to something and I move on <laughs> Guess what? I like my brain and I'm like that I'm working on Literally it. Literally <laughs> putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> where my mouth is not. <laughs> where your mouth is not. Replacing your mouth with money. Replacing your mouth with money. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I guess uh, Koa's episode, that was kind of like Koa's answer to that thesis question. Exactly. Like, what does... What kind of community support inspires you? What was your, like, what do you think is your takeaway from that question? I feel like overall for the whole season, I feel like it was about showing up, about being there for people. And, Uh and I don't necessarily think that that comes online. I think that Mm. that is an in-person thing Mm -hmm. and the thing that we were really missing during COVID. And, and I think that that was kind of my general takeaway was like, show up for people, Mm -hmm. which I think is something that I really is something that I I've always tried to do. But now I'm like more actively trying to do like buying tickets, even if I can't go to a thing. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, showing up being there being in the audience giving feedback. Yeah. How about you? That's beautiful. (laughs) Um, I really came into it being like, Day's answer was also yes. super cool of like just, uh, you know, uh, redistribute the knowledge, 100%. share everything with each other that you can. Um, communism. And, uh, <laughs> communism. I, um, comrade. <laughs> I, I really, I really came into the season like super stoked about that. And, and now I'm kind of like, I, I think this was kind of to hear's takeaway of this general. It's, it's really nice to see people just purely wanting to be there for each other and not get anything out of it. I've been trying to focus more on that just in like my own relationships, kind of just like turning inward. Same. And like my friends have really like been there for me a lot and I'm so grateful for them. And I'm just really trying to focus on like, how can I be there for them and not expect anything in return? Yeah. That's what I want to focus on now. Yeah, I think I really resonate with that as well. I think that just like sort of being here for each other and mm-hmm. I don't feel like I have stupid or vapid conversations with people anymore. 
like it's nice it's really nice i'm just like like i don't know if it's just a shift in people being like i'm not doing great today or just like a shift in like (laughs) a shift in a level of honesty that people are willing to have yeah um but it's been super lovely and and i just like i guess to all of our listeners like i want to encourage you to like continue to go out there continue to ask for help when you need it the people that can show up will show up. And Mm -hmm. I know that some people are still feeling really isolated and maybe like still having difficulty kind of coming out of their shell or feeling comfortable in groups and stuff like that. And I just want to encourage people to like continue to ask for help, ask to go on a walk with someone. Yeah. I do do see that that, that like daily showing up for people or Mm -hmm. even just like texting people is really something I, I heard a lot from people. Yeah. And also give everyone the money if you have money redistribute that shit nobody apparently no one from the top is going to do that but if we can continue to do it for each other Mm -hmm. continue to do it give to your nonprofits. give to your local centers if you're wanting to help with any sort of abortion rights uh, you know Planned Parenthood is amazing but a lot of like local clinics are super in need so please like look up your local clinics give give if you can yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about it. That's great. I'm glad that you, you like that people have been more honest about how they're doing. Cause I feel like anytime I come, I come here to record a podcast, you're like, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, not good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad though. I'm, I mean, I'm happy that you feel comfortable. I'm, I feel, yeah. I feel like I've also gotten better about only asking if I'm like able, right. Which That's is important. another yeah. good thing. I think I've taken away from this. Mental um, health. Mental health. <laughs> This is our final mini episode. Our mini, (laughs) (laughs) mini big, Um, our mini episode for season two recap. Art, thank you so much for being here today and also just being so present this whole season. Art kills it behind the scenes. Talk about, you know, work that you don't know gets done. Art does it. Again, once again, I just want to thank Woody Food, Debriere, Coho, Avery Savage, Ernest Brockenberry, Bella Rocha, and Tahir McKenzie for being our incredible guests and for allowing me to speak with them and learn more about you and share you with our audience. Huge shout out to Tucker W. Mitchell, our amazing yes. photographer, H. Conley, and of course yourself, Art. Thank you so much. Um, so signing off, we're going to take a little bit of a break for the summer. Pay attention to the AP Studio BK Instagram. We do have shows coming up, so pay attention. Empire State Music and Arts Festival that is run by the amazing Carrie Blue, who is from the first season, is happening August 8th through 14th. And he has graciously invited AP and Apartment Party to host the Friday night, August 12th event. And Art is going to be performing as well as Ernest and Bella. So people you'll know and recognize recognize and uh, we would love to see you there there is a four-day pass that you can buy that or um, tickets are online and uh, the tickets are in our link tree at AP Studio BK so stay tuned we should have another couple free shows coming and then I'm hoping fingers crossed to reinstate apartment party happening in the fall (gasps) so stay tuned to that super excited and we will be back with an episode in september ah Ah, so long
Uh, anything else? So you, fun. Oh, um, I know. I'm super. I'm super happy we got to start doing this. Yes. Um, many episodes. So thank you so much. Me too. For it's being here fun. each week or each month. So it's been an honor to begin my career as a podcaster. Hey, well, have we gone through you. the stages of de- like grief? You're like, you like were hardcore in denial <laughs> a couple months ago. You were in acceptance. <laughs> And with that, uh, with the ninth mini or eighth mini episode, you are in acceptance. I fine, love it. Fine. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Love you. Love you. Say it back. Bye. AP Studio Files.